Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. This week we are tackling a common cliche in the American church, in the world, but not of it. I think there are some pretty serious issues with how this is normally used which seems to be more or less synonymous with the idea that we should not influence culture because why polish brass on a sinking ship? In this episode, I plan to address what is wrong with the way that phrase is often used and give you what I believe is a more biblical way to understand it. That more biblical way will interpret the expression, at least to some degree, in light of theonomy and by extension economics, so It relates to the topics of theonomy as a podcast. In fact, many things that relate to theonomy will have some way in which they, by extension, relate to economics. For more on that, check out episode 40 where I answer the question, Is theonomy important for economics? But before we jump into all that, I want to ask you all to subscribe to Theonomy if you have not already done so. Follow it on social media and tell your friends about it. So let's get back to the phrase, in the world but not of it. First, unless I am mistaken, this is not actually a quote from any Bible verse. It is at most putting together the ideas of several passages, so let's look at a few of those. First, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Next, James 4.4. And by the way, all of these scripture references are coming from the Legacy Standard Bible. So James 4.4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. And the last one we're going to look at, John seventeen fourteen to 16. Here Jesus is speaking in prayer to the Father and says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That last passage is probably the one that gets closest at this idea. Since we have Jesus stating that Christians are not of the world. And since we are still in this world, as long as we are alive, then we are in the world, but not of the world. Now, before you think that means that the case is closed and this phrase is 100% biblical and that I am wrong for wanting to disagree with it. We need to think more clearly and biblically about this. Just because you quote or in this sentence, halfway quote, a verse from scripture doesn't mean you are rightly using it. Scripture has context and to quote scripture rightly, we have to quote it properly 
and not apply it outside of its original meaning or application and implications of that original meaning. For instance, no matter how many times I quote verses from judges about Samson in the mirror, that doesn't mean if I grow out my hair, I'm going to have super strength. That only works for Samson and Super Saiyan 3 Goku. Those passages and judges about the Nazarite vow and the inhuman strength had a specific purpose for a specific person at a specific place and time. I can learn a lot from Samson's life, many of them negative examples of what not to do, but no amount of quoting those verses in the mirror will turn me Super Saiyan 3, no matter how cool that would be. So to properly understand the, that passage and then this phrase, we need to make sure we are properly understanding the words. In other words, definitions are important. Take the word world here. Typically, the Greek word cosmos is what gets translated as world into English, though sometimes oikumene every once in a while gets translated as world. And this just further muddies the term and makes it difficult for English readers, which is why it would be great if we all knew Greek, but that would be too difficult to have every Christian knowing Greek. Now, the word cosmos has at least a dozen different definitions, meanings, or understandings throughout the various times it appears throughout the New Testament. In all honesty, though I know a bit of Koine Greek, I am no Greek expert, but I do listen to James White, and he has said that in the Johannine Corpus alone, that is the books of the New Testament written by the Apostle John, there are at least a dozen different understandings of that term. Sometimes cosmos refers to those in the immediate area around Jerusalem, maybe just Judea, maybe further out into Samaria and Galilee, or maybe even the entire Roman Empire. That's more the understanding that the Pharisees meant in John 12, 19, when they said, or when it says in John 12, 19, So all the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That was an exaggeration as not every individual on the planet was going after Jesus. Certainly those in China or the Americas were not going after Jesus during his earthly ministry. Sometimes cosmos refers to all humans on the planet. That's one that people pretty commonly think of when they hear the word world. After all, that's what people who disagree with limited atonement love to talk about with John 3.16. Uh, sometimes it refers to this unbelieving, fallen, rebellious structure of the world. The first two verses of Ephesians 2 are one example of this. It says there, And you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. When we think of the word world, we usually think of it in one of those latter two senses, or as in this world, like the earth as a whole and those in it, or this dimension as opposed to heaven and hell. Something like that is what we usually think of when we think of the word world. And that's important as we understand this phrase. When people say that we are in the world, but not of the world, they mean, or at least I hope they mean, different things each time they say the word world. The first time that we are in the world refers to the fact that believers are still living in this sin-cursed, fallen, still too rebellious against God world. 
like this planet, this dimension. The latter time that the word is used in the phrase that we are not of the world means that we are not of these satanic worldly systems that rebel against and oppose God with all their might. If when people use the expression, they are understanding it that way, with the two times the word world appears, it has different meanings, then even if we disagree a bit on the exact details and outworkings of it, we have a similar foundation. However, I fear that many Christians today do not make that distinction in the different definitions of world in that phrase and mean it the same way both times, that we are not of this world, as in this place that we live in on planet Earth, that our citizenship is in heaven and not on Earth, and that this is just our temporary home. It's not where we belong. It's just windows and rooms that we're passing through. When we mean the expression that Christians are in the world but not of the world like that, we do a great disservice to our faith, to the various nations of the planet, and to our King Jesus. If we think our only important things to do as Christians is to do our daily devotions, evangelize, and maybe if we are really spiritual, disciple other believers, and that everything else is unspiritual and things we only do because they are necessary, then we are stunting ourselves and the growth of our faith and are missing the vast majority of Christian duties in the world. That is what I see as a severe issue and major flaw with radical two-kingdom theology, where Jesus' kingship here on earth is practically denied as we believe in the kingdom of God in heaven and the kingdom of Satan on earth, and ne'er the two shall meet until the millennium. This ideology leads us to not build things that last for generations. You aren't going to take a 9,000 year lease to start a business like Arthur Guinness did with that mentality. If you build anything at all, it will only be Bible colleges and missions agencies. And believe me, those are important. Although I wish Bible colleges weren't needed as much because fathers and pastors were doing a good job of educating young men in the faith. And in fact, uh, they, like the Bible colleges and the missions agencies, those are important things, and the people building them are doing great things that will improve the world for generations to come by starting those missions agencies, by training and sending missionaries, just like we talked about last week with the episode on foreign aid. If you missed that episode, be sure to check it out. But Christians should be building more than just evangelism and discipleship institutions. Once again, those are important and vital, and if we did all of the other things without them, our work might well be fruitless because we would be denying the foundation for those other things we are doing. But Christians should be building businesses and making economic and politics be submitted to the Lordship of Christ and building educational institutions beyond just Bible colleges. We should be building all sorts of things to further God's kingdom in this world. And that's the thing with it. We are to further God's kingdom in this world. Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark 1.15. But those who use this phrase wrongly, which is not everyone who uses it, but these days it seems to be many of them, use it to attack those who are doing work for the kingdom beyond just preaching the gospel. If someone tries to get rid of legislation that is against scripture and against God and or put into effect legislation that is obedient to God 
and his word. Some Christians might accuse them of being too worldly and that they shouldn't do that political work because this world is not our home and doing political work like that is not spiritual. That mentality is a leading factor in what gets a nation from being very much influenced by the Christian worldview to being post-Christian and by and large secular. When Christians decide that politics is not a Christian work and is too worldly, so they don't get into it and allow unbelievers to take it over and destroy what the Christians built. When we do that, we allow unbelievers to bring in socialistic economic laws that destroy what we have built. We allow them to make gay mirage and transgenderism political talking points that are viewed with favor instead of the revulsion that they deserve. We allow them to teach all manner of things against God's word in government schools that themselves are violations of God's precepts for the civil magistrate's fear of sovereignty. So there are all kinds of things that can go wrong when we wrongly use that phrase. But in what positive sense can we say it? In what positive sense can we state that Christians are in the world, but not of the world? I can think of several. First, we are still in a world that is fallen. Second, it reminds us that we have been redeemed out of the corrupt, evil, fallen ways of the world. And that as Christians, we are not to go back into that sin. Third, it reminds us that we are called out ones as believers. Set apart ones is what sanctified means. Sanctify, set apart. Lastly, it keeps us from going into the other extreme of making secular politics our savior instead of keeping Jesus and his position as King of Kings and Lord of Lords with a law that is to be followed by all nations as our political guide. So first, we live in a fallen world. The curse has not been abolished yet. AD 70 did many important things in the world, but it did not destroy the curse and usher us into eternity. We should not expect things to be perfect because we are not in eternity yet. We are still in the world and we still have the disappointments of things outside our control going wrong, of things wearing down and breaking, of others sinning against us, and also of our own sin, which leads to the next point. Second, this phrase, when rightly used, reminds us that we are not of the world, not in the way that we need to escape from the world and cut ourselves off from it, but that we are not like the world in their continuing rejection of and rebellion against God. We have been saved from and out of that. We are no longer dead in our sins with hearts of stone that want to rebel against God with every beat. We are now alive unto God and united to Christ with hearts of flesh that want to obey God and honor him. Sure, our old flesh still clings to us and makes perfect sinless obedience impossible this side of eternity. Not our old nature, because we only have one nature, not two. And Paul talks about this in Romans 7 as he describes his own war against his indwelling sin. But despite that fight, we are new creatures, growing in holiness and in sanctification day by day. Since we are not of the world in this fashion, we cannot allow ourselves to try to get back into the world in their sin. We cannot try to throw off God's rules over us and his commands to be holy as he is holy and live just like the world does. Because if we do that, 
we likely show that we were never saved and never received a spiritual heart transplant to begin with. Closely related to that, in fact, so related that I could probably almost consider it a subpoint rather than a different point, is that God has saved us out of the world. We were part of that rebellious group that includes all humanity who are not believers in Jesus Christ. All humanity from the moment of conception until salvation and until a new eternity for those who never believe the gospel. We were without God in the world, hating one another and hated by others, caught up in all of our sin and misery and foolishness. But God called us out of that to serve him in the midst of this crooked and dying world, to bring that world the light of the gospel so that it would no longer be dark and dying. So the same as that last point, we must not try to go back to that dying world while we name the name of Christ. All of the evil things that this rebellious world system tells us are good, whether pornography or hatred or lying or stealing or cheating or, especially these days, effeminacy in men and feminism in women or anything else, all of it is against God and believers have been saved out of it and are given new hearts so that they would not go back into those things. When we attempt to do so, we deny our Lord and Redeemer. When we have so-called Christian teachers promoting things that God's word condemns, then they are, in a sense, denying this phrase, in the world but not of the world. Ironically, oftentimes those are probably the same people who would use that phrase to condemn Christians trying to do God's work in culture. Lastly, a positive of this phrase is to remind us that secular politics is not our savior. Even though the Republican Party is not quite as morally evil as the Democrat Party, it is nowhere near a party that upholds God's values and commands. There are Christians within that party, but most of them are probably more in it because getting elected as an independent is nearly impossible than because they uphold the practices of the modern Republican Party. That I have no issue with. What I have an issue with is when Christians get their political views from the Republican Party more than they do from Scripture. Now, I don't think this is as widespread as some like to claim it is. Some who claim the name of Christ but are politically left want to act like this is every Christian who is politically conservative, which is nowhere near the case because the Bible is more conservative than the Republican Party. But there are some Christians who have done this, perhaps in part because Christian leaders would not give good discipleship on how the Bible teaches us political views, and so they got them from non-Christian Republicans instead. So while we are in this world, we are not trusting this world system to be our Savior, because our Savior Jesus the King is giving us our marching orders to influence culture as we proclaim his gospel. Finally, in this episode, I want to talk about this phrase in light of theonomy. First, I think in what I have said thus far about this on the podcast episode, I have been talking about it in light of theonomy all along, but since that's a bit of a trick, I will answer it more directly. Christians should, though we still live in a world that is fallen and cursed by God because of sin, not live like those around us who do not know Christ. We should be different, God's set-apart, called-out people. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything in this world. 
Jesus is king and his dominion is growing, and so we should seek to grow his fame and power in the world as we spread the gospel. Disciple believers, marry and raise children, start businesses, start political careers, work for employers, and build all sorts of different things. We are in the world, but not of the world, but that doesn't mean that we let the world go to hell in a handbasket. Adam and Eve were to make the entire earth resemble the Garden of Eden, if not better, probably even better. God gave them the Garden of Eden to say, go make the world like this and then improve upon it from there. And they were to do that as they exercised dominion over the world. Our job hasn't changed. It has just gotten more difficult because of the fall. Those who use this phrase to justify escapism might act like it means that our job has changed, but it has not. Except for getting more difficult, that is the only change to it. Now we are doing this as fallen creatures, redeemed and given new hearts by our God, and we aid him in making his enemies his footstool. Not because he needs our help. God is omnipotent. Not because he needs our help. He could do it all by himself if he wanted to, but because he has chosen to use clay vessels as his instruments in this work to magnify himself by using such foolish and broken vessels such as we humans in this magnificent work. So in summary, the expression that Christians are to be in the world but not of the world is often abused to say that we shouldn't do any cultural work because the world is not our home and we are citizens of heaven, not this earth. That mindset stunts Christian work in this world. It does have some positives if we understand it rightly, that we still live in a sin-cursed world, but are not to be part of that sinful, rebellious system within it. Rather than being a message that changes nothing besides men's hearts, the gospel is a message that changes nations and the world by changing human hearts one at a time. That was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me, your law is sweet, oh you.